So we are, are beginning a brand new series uh, this week called More. Um, and over the next several weeks up till, till Easter, we're going to be talking about how do we get more uh, out of our relationship with, with Christ? How do we position ourselves uh, in a way to, to, to get more? Um, because I believe that God wants more for all of us uh, than what we're experiencing. And I know I don't usually wear a suit coat um, on stage, uh, but I'll just tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, so Jennifer left for Wisconsin after the first service, and she'd had all of her clothes packed for work for the week. And she woke up this morning and said, I don't have any church clothes. They're all packed. So she put on a dress. She said, if I'm wearing a dress, you've got to wear something fancier. And I just had jeans and a T-shirt on, so I just threw a suit coat on over the, over the T-shirt, and we called it good. Um, but um, I, I don't know about for, for some of you, though. Like, and I'm not going to ask a question because I ran out of time in the first service, so I'm going to abbre- abbreviate this. But I know there are many different uh, denominational backgrounds that that come to KCC now. Um, And one of the the most common questions that we get uh, is is about communion. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. I I grew up in a Christian church, Church of Christ uh, kind of movement, uh, where we took communion every Sunday. And we do that here every Sunday. I'll tell you why um, in in a minute. Um, but when I went to Bible college at, at 18 years old, one of our assignments was that first semester of Bible college was to go visit seven different denominations of churches and just kind of see how they do things and, and that. So, so I remember going to a Catholic church, and um, it's kind of like what we're doing today, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, uh, calisthenics, I'm going to ask you to stand here again in a few minutes. But, um, and then it came communion time, and I'm like, all right, and they said it's real wine, and I'm 18 and 19, and I'm like, I mean, yes, like I... Give me some of the real wine. And one of the guys looked at me and said, you can't take communion here. You're not a Catholic. And I'm like, well, I'll become a Catholic for some wine. Um, and he said, no, he said, you got to take a class. And I'm like, okay, it ain't worth it. Um, and I, I went to a Methodist church, and, and they took communion like once a quarter or something like that. And um, I went to a charismatic church, and they didn't take communion. Um, so I was just really confused on like, like, what, what do we, why, why do we do communion every week? And so I started looking into the, the scripture about why and, and how, do we, how do we do communion. And what I found is the Bible's not real specific. Like, so I'm not saying that any other denomination or any other church is wrong because the, the Bible is not specific. It's not, hey, you have to do this this often. Like, it, just, it doesn't say that. So churches that do it once a quarter, I'm fine with. Churches that do it once a month, I'm fine with. But the reason we take it uh, every week, so it's not because of, there's a biblical command anywhere for it, um, it's because of apostolic precedent, um, is what, what we looked into and when our church movement began, um, long before me, uh, when, when the, the whole Christian church movement began, they said, well, what, how did the apostles do it? So as they studied scripture and as they studied church history, um, they, they came to the conclusion that, that they met together on the first day of the week for, for a particular reason to take this Lord's Supper. I could even make a case from Scripture if I wanted to that every time they had a meal, they would have celebrated the, the Lord's Supper. And Todd often will we'll talk about how his home church, that they did it. Every time they got together and had a meal, like they, they took communion with it. So, so while they're out the sermon, I'm not saying that anyone's wrong, anyone's right, um, but because communion is not commanded in Scripture. But what is commanded in Scripture is what we're going to talk about today. Jesus says this, that when you do it, 
When you take this meal together, when you have this time together, you do it focused on me. You, you remember me and what I did for you. Like, so, so he is why we have this incredible opportunity to celebrate communion. Again, I don't know for some of you if you remember the first time you got to experience a communion, but my prayer today uh, is, is this, and it has been all week, that somebody today would meet Christ, that you would come to a life-saving, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about a kind of a pattern that we see develop through the life and ministry of Jesus. So Jesus, in the story we're going to talk about today, he was having a good day and a bad day all at the same time. You ever, you ever had that? A good day and a bad day all, all at the same time? Like, but Jesus, he was fully God and fully man. And we don't oftentimes think about Jesus having a bad day, but, but, but he was fully man. So he experienced bad days just like we do. Um, he had just sent out his disciples uh, on this mission. He sent them out two by two and said, hey, I want you to go into the villages and I want you to tell people the good news and I want you to heal people and I want you to cast out demons. So they're gone for a little while and they come back to Jesus and they're trying to tell him all of the great things that had happened, all of the miracles that they saw and people just keep interrupting Jesus. Like, have you ever experienced that? Like you're trying to talk to someone and there's someone else that just keeps interrupting you. Like they're just tapping you on the shoulder. Like, hey, 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 I need you. And you just want to kind of give them the elbow in, in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's how I think. But so Jesus is like, all right, guys, I've got a plan. Let's, let's get away to a quiet place. Let's get away where we can rest and relax and decompress. And you can tell me your stories and, and I want to hear that. And, and they're excited because they've been working hard. They're like, yes, we need a break. We, we, we need a rest. And they're done with people. And so, so the, the, the disciples and Jesus, they start on their way and they get to the place that they're going and there's a problem. Somebody had leaked the information to where they were going. And it wasn't just a few people that were there, like there were thousands of people there. And we've talked about this before. Probably every single one of us have done this, whether you're in line or, or, or in the room. Like you have faked a phone call. Like you've done one of these things. Like you've seen somebody coming and you're like, oh no. Hey, how's it going? How's mom and them? Like, or like you saw somebody coming on the ring doorbell and you're like, I ain't answering that door. Like, and you turn off the lights and you go hide in the bathroom. <laughs> Here's what I've done before. I'm gonna be honest and tell you a little bit. Like there'd be people I'll see come in the church. And I'm like, I gotta hide. Like I'll go find a room in the church and hide. Again, it happens. But you can't hide from thousands of people. Like Jesus' disciples, like they kind of walk and they see the area that they're going to go to to rest and decompress. And all of a sudden, there's thousands of people. And I'm sure the disciples are going, oh, great. He's going to love on these people again. He's going to teach them. He's going to heal them. He's going to do some awesome things. And we're going to have to stand here and watch. Sure enough, the Bible says this, Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. And then Luke tells us this story in Luke chapter nine. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so that they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. Now, I'm gonna be honest. Like there are some things that you will never hear me say. Like, you will never hear me say, hey, check out this picture. Jennifer and I just got these kittens. Like, you, 
You are not ever going to hear me say that. Another thing you will never hear me say is, hey, like, guess what, guys? Like, I just went vegan. Like, I, like I'm not, I don't understand. Like, meat is good. Like, I'm not going vegan. Another thing that you will never hear me say is, man, I just got so busy, I forgot to eat. Like, I do skip a lot of meals, but it's on purpose. Like, it's not because I forget to eat. I actually think about food all the time. But it would have to be something spectacular for me to forget to eat. Now, think about this. There's a thousands of people. Something caused thousands of people to forget to eat, or, or someone caused thousands of people to forget to eat. And that someone was this man, Jesus. Like, they'd never seen anybody love people like this man was loving people. They'd never heard anyone teach with authority like he was teaching with uh, authority. They'd never seen him, anybody heal like this man could heal. And thousands of people were so captivated by him that they forgot to eat. And then the 12 disciples, and they're thinking about, hey, everybody needs food. And they weren't really thinking about everybody. They were thinking about them. See, I think there's a danger. There's a danger for all of us. And it's getting so close to Jesus that we kind of get used to him. They're like, okay, yeah, another blind guy can see. Another deaf guy can, can hear. Another lame guy can walk. Yeah, he's telling the story about the sheep again. We know what happens. He finds the sheep. Right? It was so common for them that they started paying attention to, to other things, and they lost sight of the supernatural. And that's one of the things I don't ever want to, to happen for, at KCC. One of the things I don't want to ever take for, for us to take for granted is the supernatural work that, that God does. That's why we celebrate things. People are getting, are getting immersed in Christ. Like I don't ever want to take salvation for granted because it's not a man-made thing. It is a thing that God does to, to save lives, to change lives, and, and to, to, to make people brand new in Christ. Again, I want to celebrate that because what we don't celebrate becomes normal. And what becomes normal becomes seldom. And the last thing in the world that we want, ever want is for salvation to be normal. Again, it's supernatural. It's the old being washed away and the new being reborn. And it should be celebrated every single time it happens. So they're standing there. Jesus is teaching. And they're, they're like, man, I thought he was only going to preach a message, but he's obviously preaching the whole series right now. Like somebody's got to shut this guy down. So Jesus, we're concerned for the people. We, we love these people, Jesus. They need to eat. And again, I don't think it was for the people. I think it was for them. You ever done that? You blamed it on somebody else? And I love what Jesus does. Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, you feed them. You know, has Jesus ever asked you to do something that you're like, say what? You feed them? He said, but we only have five loaves and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go buy enough food for this whole crowd? And it says, for there were 5,000 men there. 5,000 men. I want to pause real quick. Like back in the day, in this time period, women and children did not count. Like in fact, it was, it was actually Jesus whose teachings added value to women and children. Like you can trace that back through history and, and value began being added to women and children through the teaching of Jesus. Listen, government doesn't get to define your, your value Culture doesn't get to define your value. Your parents don't get to define your value. Your school doesn't get to define your value. Jesus determines your value. And he says you are valuable no matter what anyone else says about you. But in this time, women and children, they didn't count. 
So you have 5,000 men. Scholars say there's probably around 15 to 20,000 people present. They say, hey, we have five loaves and two fish. Now, what's fascinating to me is if you know the story, where did they get the five loaves and two fish from? A little boy, right. In fact, John 6 tells us that in John 6, verses 8 and 9. It says, there was a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with a huge crowd? Now, I'm sure this isn't a surprise for any of you, but Jesus winds up feeding the 5,000 people uh, with, with five loaves and two fish. But here's something that I've never really seen that I hope encourages you uh, today. Jesus got the substance for the miracle from someone whose society said didn't count. And there's somebody in this room or there's somebody watching online today that at some point, maybe it was religious society, maybe it was culture, maybe it was your parents that said you didn't count, but whoever counted you out can't count because God has a habit of taking people that the world says don't count and using them to bring about a miracle in the lives of others. He did it all through scripture and that's what he does through us. And Jesus is like, like I'm going to use that boy. And so the Bible goes on to say this and it, it, it's crazy. So Jesus replied to them, uh, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the the people sat down. That's the miracle, getting 5,000 men to do anything. Some of you women are like, amen. Like women and children usually don't have a problem. You tell them to do something, they they, they do it. But men get mad about everything. Why do we have to sit? Who's he to tell me to sit down? Tell me to park across the road on Easter or friend day so that other people can park. Who's he? Like, like, and I understand that. Like, I'm a man. Like, I don't like to do well. I don't want to be told what to do either. But can you imagine getting 15 to 20,000 people to sit in groups of 50? All right, 48, 49, 50. Oh, you want to be with them? Like, oh, no, like, just sit close or something. Like, be 72, I don't know. Like, and I say that because it stuck out to me. Like, they had to position themselves to receive the miracle. And a lot of times, I think we don't get the miracle is because we don't position ourselves to get the miracle. Like, I'm super thankful that there are people here today. I oftentimes wonder every week to week, is anybody gonna show up today? But one thing I know about you is that you've positioned yourself to, to experience the presence of God. Like, we have people watching online, and, and I'm thankful for you. Maybe you live too far away to, uh, to drive here. But for those of you who are watching from Ken Mundy or Salem or Farina or Louisville, like why in the world would you watch online when you can position yourself in the house? Kind of like people tell me that they're not experiencing the presence of God through, through the week. And my question is, and I don't mean to be mean, is, but, but are, are you positioning yourself to experience the presence of God? Because a lot of times what we end up blaming on God is actually our fault because we're not putting ourselves in a position to experience his presence. Like, I'm thankful that I had a, a mother that for the first 18 years of my life positioned me in the church and didn't give me an option. Church attendance was, wasn't optional for me. That's why I'm so glad that we have a, a children's ministry right now that, that between these two services, there's probably 60 or 70 kids down there learning about Jesus on their own level. That's why I'm thankful we have a student ministry on Sunday nights and on, on Friday nights where we have a position for our students to, to come and to hear about Jesus. Like it blows me away when, when parents will bring their, 
their 18, 19-year-old kid to, to the church and say, fix them. But they've never positioned them for spiritual success. Spent 18 or 19 years positioning them for athletic success or, or educational success or, or all this other success, and you've told them for 18 or 19 years that everything else in the world is more important than church, and then when their life begins falling apart at 18 or 19, you bring them to the church and say, fix them, and I say, I can't because you didn't position them for the last 18 years to fall in love with Jesus. So are you in a position today to receive what Jesus wants to pour into your life? That's why I love the story of Zacchaeus. Like, you know, if you grew up in church, you know the story of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Why? Because the Lord he wanted to see. He positioned himself in a place to see Jesus. And when Jesus noticed his position, he said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to change your life today. But Zacchaeus had to position himself first. And anytime we position ourselves to, to be in the presence of Jesus, he's not going to leave us empty-handed. Like, we haven't even gotten to communion yet. You guys need to listen faster. Like, so I want to show you, though, what, what this has to do with communion. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 16. It says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven. He blessed them, Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Now, there's a pattern here that stands out, an order that stands out. What did he do with the bread and the fish? He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. That order right there is powerful. Like, I see that, that, that order working out in the individual life of followers of Christ, Listen, if you're here today and, and you belong to Jesus, it's because he took you by the hand. You know, I was thinking about the reason that there's anything good in my life is because Jesus took me by the hand. He took an interest in me before, before I was ever interested in him. And if you're here today and you're sitting in this room or you're watching online, like Jesus has reached down his hand at some point and he's taken you out of a pit. He's taken you out of a, uh, a, a toxic environment. He's taken you out of a bad thing. And the reason you're standing today is because he took you out of a situation that had you stayed in it, it probably would have killed you. But he took you, and then he blessed you. You know, I've been thinking about, strange thought, my wife yelled at me, but I've been thinking about getting some chickens. <laughs> like, I, I don't like to eat chicken. Like, I'm not a fan of chicken meat. Um, but one thing that I eat pretty often is eggs. Like, I eat a lot of eggs. So I was at the store, and I was buying eggs. And the price of eggs is just crazy. Like, people online complaining about the price of eggs. And so I'm like, man, I just need some chickens. Now, I didn't get any, because that'd be weird to have chickens running around the churchyard all the time. <laughs> but I was thinking about egg prices, and I was complaining about egg prices, and God just kind of convicted me and said, Instead of, instead of complaining about egg prices, why don't you just be thankful that you could buy an 18-pack of eggs? Like, I've got to say that, because um, it'll wind up as a YouTube clip, preacher bought an 18-pack. Like, it was of eggs. But isn't it true that we get mad at, at so many things, and at the end of the day, like, there is not a person in this room or watching online that is not blessed. Now, I'm not saying that all of your circumstances are perfect, but at the end of the day, you'd have to admit that you're blessed. You know, if you walked in here today you are blessed. If you can hear with your ears, you are blessed. If you can see with your eyes, you are blessed. If you slept inside last night, you are blessed. If you had options in your closet this morning, you are blessed. There are people in this room, like we don't even understand how blessed we are. 
So many of us, we look at our situation and we say, man, I wish I could get out of it. When there are millions and millions of people all over the world, Lord, would look at your situation and say, man, I wish I could get in it. Like we're blessed. And some people think blessed is having everything that you want. Like that's not blessed, that's spoiled. We all know what a spoiled kid's like. But it says he took it, he blessed it, and he broke it. And I don't like that part. He broke it. There are people in this room and you've been broken. I just say this, you show me someone that's been broken and I will show you somebody that God can use in incredible ways. Like I got to this part though, I don't, I don't, I don't like the brokenness. But look, the bread didn't multiply until after it was broken. Like there have been times and situations in my life where I've gone through where I thought God was, God was killing me, but he was breaking me. There are people here today, you come from a broken home, you've got a broken heart, you've got broken circumstances, and I just want you to consider that the possibility that the brokenness could be a setup for a blessing that will absolutely blow you away. Because God doesn't waste anything, and he won't waste pain. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. God is a, a giver. You know, I'll often talk to people and tell them that they should, they should give their life to Christ. And often it's like, I, I just don't know what he'll take away from me. And my question is, like, what in the world does God need from you? He is the creator of the universe. The only thing that God ever wants to take away from you is your sin, because if he doesn't, it will kill you. That's the order. You see it like he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Now I want to jump ahead to Luke chapters 22, 23, and 24 and show you why this is important and why it, it relates to, to communion. So we're going to skip forward to, to what's called the Lord's Supper. And don't call it the, the Last Supper. I've heard people call it the Last Supper. Because listen, the Last Supper is going to be in heaven, celebrated with all the Christians in the presence of Jesus, and it's going to be a huge celebration. Like that's going to be the Last Supper. But this is the Lord's Supper, and it says this in Luke twenty two nineteen. It says he took some bread, so he took it, he gave thanks to God for it, he blessed it, then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. There was an order even to the Lord's Supper. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And as he did that, I'm, I'm sure that their minds went back to the time where he fed the 5,000. Okay, what was that little boy's name again? I don't know. But then Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. Focus on me. Put your attention on me. And then he was crucified. He rose from the dead, and people were skeptical of the resurrection. Um, and I think we're way too hard on the early Christians because we wouldn't have believed it either. Like, people don't rise from the dead. No one was there to see it. The Bible said he rose early in the morning. You know why? And this is my opinion. So he didn't have to deal with people. That's why I get up so early in the morning. And thank God for the women, though. Because if it wasn't for the women, like, we wouldn't have known about the resurrection. All the men were all huddled up, scared in a little room somewhere, wondering what to do next. 
But the women, they go and, and they, they come back and they tell Peter and John that, hey, he's, he's not in the tomb. And they run and they look in and they check and they're like, yep, he's not there. And just one more story from, from Luke's gospel concerning this. It's Luke chapter 24. So there's two guys now and they're kind of walking. And this is what it says, that same day, which is the same day of the resurrection, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking away from the miracle. Like, like they, don't, they don't know. I mean, they saw him crucified. They saw him put in the, in the tomb. It says, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that, they had, ha- that had happened. So were they talking about Jesus, yes or no? Yeah. It says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Now, that's pretty cool. You're walking along with Jesus. And I love this. Sometimes I hear preachers, especially around Easter, they preach on this, and they're, they're awful hard on these guys. They didn't even recognize that Jesus was there. Well, read the next verse. But God kept them from recognizing him. So they get, they get a pass. So like it wasn't their fault. But he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? He said they stopped short, sadness written all over their, their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Can you see that scene playing out? Jesus going, nope, I haven't heard a thing. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to, to Jesus of Nazareth. So, so they spend some time telling Jesus what happened to Jesus, which I always find to be funny. And Jesus would go on to, to say, hey guys, it was supposed to happen that way. He explains everything to them. And then in verses 28 through 31, it says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were just going to keep on going. So like Jesus, like he's funny to me. Like he just keeps on walking like, hey guys, see ya. And I said, but they begged him to spend the night with them since it was getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, watch this. As they sat down to eat, what did he do? He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. When did they recognize him? On the road, talking about him? When he was describing everything that had happened to him? No, that's not when they recognized him. They recognized him when he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. The order of the breaking of the bread. But we see him not only doing this with the bread, like we see him doing it with people all throughout Scripture. We see this, like he took them, he blessed them, he broke them, and then he gave them. And we see it in the story of Abraham and, and Sarah. Like they were told that, that they didn't count because they couldn't have a child. So God took them and he moved them from that society that had counted them out and he blessed them. We blessed them with a, a promise that one day they would have a, a son. But then he broke them. He, had to, he, he taught them that, hey, it's not on your time, it's on my time, and they had to wait. But eventually he would give them Isaac, and, and through Isaac would be the nation of Israel. He took Moses from, from the Nile River, and he blessed him by allowing him to be raised in, in Pharaoh's house. 
And he broke him by helping him understand that he couldn't do it on his own. And then he gave him the opportunity to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. He took Esther from the streets of Persia, and he blessed her by making her a a, a queen. And he broke her by helping her understand that, hey, this isn't all about you. You need to step up and do something for your people. And she had the opportunity to save a nation. He did it with David. He took David out of a sheep pen, and he blessed him with an anointing to to be the king and gave him a calling. And and then he, he broke him by making him aware of his own sinfulness. Then he gave him the lineage of the Messiah. We see it with Peter. He took him from an obscure fishing village in Galilee, and he blessed him with a calling and a purpose, and then he broke him through his denials. Then he gave him the opportunity to preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people would be saved, and the church would begin. He took Jesus from a manger in Bethlehem, and he blessed him with an earthly ministry, and he broke him on the cross for our sins, and he raised him back to life so that he could give us life. This is the story of my life. He took me when I was young, and he blessed me in ways that I could have never imagined, and he broke me through my parents' divorce, and he's broken me through times of depression, and he's broken me through my own sinfulness, and he's broken me through through loss of, of family and loss of friends, but he's given me more than I could ever imagine or ask for. We serve a God today that wants to take and bless and break and give. That's what he wants to do for every single one of us. And I don't know where you are in the process, but I know in this moment right here, we're supposed to focus on Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you today to make that decision. He wants to take you and not to punish you, but to bless you. And then there will be a breaking. Maybe it's when you realize your own sinfulness may break you. Maybe it'll be some of the chains of addiction and bondage that have been holding you back for so long that that, that he's going to break in your life. Then he wants to give you. He wants to give you this amazing grace. He wants to give you this this new purpose. Today is the day that some of you, you need to accept Christ for the very first time, to be immersed in baptism. For others of you, you may have drifted a little bit. Maybe you're not where you need to be, and today's the day you hit the reset button, and you realize that I need to put my focus back on Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand, and our worship band is going to lead us in this song, Amazing Grace. And if there's a decision you need to make, I'm just going to ask you to slide out one of these back doors. Seth and Todd will go out those exits. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but as they're singing, if you could go back and and talk to them in in one of the four-year areas, um, and we'll come back together, um, and then we're going to focus on communion after we've had an opportunity to decide.